Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wrap. I'm Brian Anderson, WREL State Government Reporter. Hi, and I'm Paul Spey, uh, our PolitiFact reporter who also covers state government. So we had quite a bit of news this week. One thing that seemed to maybe possibly come to an end is the seemingly endless Green Party saga. We had uh, this fight to get on the ballot for people who are unfamiliar, there's a process where you have to go to a five member state board of elections and get their approval in order to qualify for a spot on the state ballot. That's what the Green Party tried to do for the November ballot. Initially, the state board of elections voted three two against that request. And then they decided earlier this month actually to allow that request to go forward. But the issue was really just, can it happen in time for the 2022 midterms? The Green Party had this issue fought out in court, and the court sided with the Green Party saying that they're allowed to have their name on the 2022 ballot. The North Carolina Democratic Party appealed that decision, and the end result was that the Democratic appeal was denied. So as of now, things can always change, but it, it seems likely that the Green Party will be on the November ballot, and there's certainly been other election news. Andy, you've been writing about some of the latest battles. Tell us about some of these new rules that are coming out. Yeah, it certainly seems like the North Carolina State Elections Board is at the center of just a lot of the things that are happening. I don't know if it's controversy so much as, um, you know, we're gearing up for elections and there's a lot of attention on them from the Green Party's petition uh, to just dealing with threats um, and abuse and trying to make life easier for the county boards. Uh, now, what that means this week is that uh, the state elections board is proposing new rules for election observers. Um, and in many cases, maybe new rules isn't even the best description. Um, they're trying to clarify what the law says. So uh, election observers are typically appointed by political parties. Um, they're allowed to be inside voting facilities. They're allowed to walk around in certain designated areas. They're allowed to take notes. There uh, And then if they see something concerning, they're allowed to report that to the chief judge, who then obviously takes it from there uh, to see if some rule or some law has been broken, right? Uh, but what county elections directors reported recently is that they had a lot of issues with uh, these election observers this past midterm election. Uh, in some case, in many cases, a lot of it was just confusion from not these observers not knowing, you know, what the rules are and what they're allowed to do. Um, for instance, they're not allowed to speak, actually. Uh, you're not allowed to talk to voters. You're not allowed to talk to precinct officials. They're only allowed to bring up concerns to the chief judge. But uh, a lot of these observers that are showing up are, um, you know, they're, they're talking to voters. They're, 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 they're not just well acquainted with the rules. And one reason for that is election observers are not trained like other poll workers. Election observers are volunteers that these political parties appoint. And in a lot of cases, they come in just not knowing very much at all. Um, and so we got our hands on the results of a, on a survey that the state board sent out uh, to these county directors and uh, the county directors responded back with some anecdotes about some things they'd seen happen. Uh, one thing that jumped out is a lot of these observers are getting too close to voting machines or positioning themselves in places that they're not allowed. Um, in one case in Wayne County, uh, 
an election observer was ejected because she would not move out of the way so that uh, a voter could insert his ballot into the machine. Um, and so uh, where we're going to see some clarity uh, is the law already says something to the effect of you're not allowed to stand where you can see someone's ballot, and how they filled it out. Uh, there's now a new proposed language that says you're not allowed to stand between a voter and the machine. Uh, hmm. And that comes in direct response to that uh, that experience that the Wayne County elections uh, director reported. So uh, the vote will be August 16th on some of those proposals. Uh, and for more details on those, uh, people can read our story. It just went up uh, today. Um, and there obviously are more examples of uh, the tweaks and clarifications on those rules for election observers. And these are administrative rule changes. This doesn't require state lawmakers to come back and act, right, Andy? Right. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. These are uh, temporary rule changes that they're proposing. And uh, spokesman Pat, Pat Gannon said one reason for that is because they want them in place for the for the November elections. And so um, it's easier to get temporary rule changes in place uh, than it is to get permanent changes in place. So they are just proposing these uh, as temporary rule changes for this election, uh, probably in, in, in hopes that they'll become long term. But a lot of these uh, seem like common sense, seem like, um, you know, they're just attempting to clarify and make things easier. Of course, in a um, public comment uh, period that was held Thursday, uh, some people called in and said, uh, it seems a little muddy or last know, minute rule changes that, before an election. What are you doing? Right. Right. Uh, or they said that, you know, some of these things are still somewhat objective or subjective. Excuse me. They're worried that um, the chief judges might be more inclined to kick out someone they disagree with. Um, but I, I'm sure those those complaints or uh, worries are not um, surprising to anyone. Well, there's one issue that won't be on uh, the ballot for, for voters in November, and that is uh, Congressman Madison Cawthorn, who lost his primary, but he's still making headlines, still generating attention. And it seems like, you know, every three months you roll out a new campaign finance report, generally speaking, and it'll reveal how much debt you have. It'll reveal how much cash you have left. But we don't seem to know the latest with Congressman Cawthorn, do we? No, um, our colleague, Laura Leslie, has a story up on our website right now. And um, basically what happened was uh, Madison Cawthorn was supposed to submit his campaign finance report by the end of July, and he didn't. And then by August 10th, which is when our story went up, they still didn't have it. And so uh, people are wondering, well, you know, he had this election, he lost, he had some money. What's he, what's he using it for? You know, and these aren't the days program. delays. These are weeks and weeks long delays here. Very, very abnormal. Right. And, and one thing that I think um, made this a little, probably a little more newsworthy is not just that he missed the deadline. It's that when asked about it, um, he seemed unavailable and social media posts from him show him on vacation uh jet skiing and drinking what looked to be expensive cocktails and playing war games even there's a, a video of him you know in some sort of simulation it's a game uh, but he's out having fun and um 
one could certainly get the impression from uh, the story and his social media uh, posts that he, he he seems like he's checked out. You know, um, he's he, uh, the, with this report being late and him being on vacation. So um, that's that's the latest. We'll start, we're always you know looking. We're we're looking at everyone's campaign finance reports. Uh, we should clarify. We're not picking on him. We're always looking for these. It just so happened that uh, he is one big name that did not report. Yeah, and certainly there's questions from his campaign spending in the primary. He was a huge prolific fundraiser through, since really being elected, raising hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and spending it seemingly just as quickly as he got it, if not spending more than he was was taking on and it seems like there's some concerns over debt obligations versus outstanding cash but just the extent to it we don't know and i think that's what is newsworthy and, and what people should care about is where your campaign money is going to and uh, whether it's been spent overboard is, is certainly something to keep an eye on one thing that uh We've also been tracking for the campaign cycle is Bo Hines. He's running in this new 13th congressional district just outside the Raleigh area, covers Southern Wake County, also all of Johnston County. Uh, those are some of the nearby places. And it is uh, supposed to be the closest race this election cycle at the U.S. House level. Uh, Bo Hines is a political newcomer seeking uh, a win for the Republican Party, and he's running against uh, state Senator Wiley Nickel. And Nickel lives in Cary. Uh, you've had Bo Hines being accused of being a carpetbagger who's new to the district. He did go to NC State and voted, I think, in the district in 2012 or so. Uh, but really, this is going to be a race to watch. And one boost that Hines just got was from a Republican minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, who came to town for a fundraiser. And Kevin McCarthy's obviously been very closely aligned with former President Donald Trump, and Bo Hines has the endorsement of Trump. And as we are seeing Trump in the headlines more and more, it's going to be interesting to see what involvement Trump has in this race and what the turnout is going to be. I mean, this is certainly a race to watch, isn't it? Yeah, and you touched on something there. Um, you know, Hines sort of needs uh, the backing of the establishment, whatever that is these days. It's hard to tell, but McCarthy is it, uh, someone who uh, certainly lends credibility to Hines, who, like like you mentioned, came in as a newcomer, uh, defeated some people in the district um, who have been there a while, who have served in lower offices. So. Um, uh, but yeah, he's endorsed by McCarthy. He's endorsed by Trump. I think he also got help from uh, Club for Growth, financial help that is. Uh, so um, it'll be interesting to see just what his reputation is come election time. Obviously, he gets a lot of his pedigree from those people we just mentioned. Um, and so wh wh whatever happens with Trump could potentially um, help him, stain him, who knows. But uh, yeah. I know, like you said, for his campaign, big names like McCarthy coming down to, you know, give him support, it certainly helps. Yeah, and I, I came from California originally, where, where Kevin McCarthy is, and he's a very powerful force in California politics, and he wants to be House Speaker, and in order to become House Speaker, you need to retake control of the U.S. House if you're the Republican, so 
hopefully for McCarthy, he might be leaning on Hines down the road to try and become speaker. So there's, there's certainly some mutual benefit to that relationship as well. One of the biggest policy issues in that race is going to be abortion. That is one that is an animating issue here for, for voters and both parties are hoping it will draw out supporters from their respective sides. And this issue of abortion in the coming days, weeks, uh, we could see a ruling over this 20-week abortion ban. And that's a, a ban on pregnancies after 20 weeks, uh, a, a ban on abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy. And that's currently the law of the land in North Carolina, but the issue is it isn't enforced. And that's because the law was halted from being implemented last year. And with the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade, it's back before the courts. Uh, interestingly, the attorney general is not defending uh, the law and he's come under some criticism for that as well. Yeah, it, uh, we'll certainly see when that decision does come down. Uh, people will see a lot of headlines about it because it's been long anticipated just to see like how this will play out. And on the, the public opinion polling side of things, it's worth noting we had a WRAL news poll recently and it found that 55% of, I think, adults in North Carolina supported this 20-week abortion ban, but a lot of people also said they favor the laws being kept where they are, uh, and it's certainly a divisive issue that draws passionate views, uh, but the Attorney General has come under criticism for something else uh, as well, and that is this 2020 ad uh, that his campaign had run. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, I have not written about this um, specifically, but uh, I, this, I'll try to give you the, it's a little in the weeds, but uh, in that race, um, Josh Stein had an ad that sort of uh, accused Jim O'Neill, his Republican opponent, of not doing enough with rape kits or to clear rape kits uh, in his uh, jurisdiction. Uh, Jim O'Neill was a district attorney. Um, uh, O'Neill thought that it was unfair and blatantly um, false. And there is an old law in North Carolina that dates back to, I think, the 1930s. That's like a century old. <laughs> yes. Uh, that says that uh, it, it is illegal to, to say something about someone that is knowingly false. Um, and uh, so he filed a complaint with the state elections board. Uh, the state elections board, we learned yesterday, thanks to Nick Oxner. He's a, a reporter for, I think it's WBTV. Yeah. Um, had a that, uh, uh, the elections board didn't, as part of their process, they look into things like this and then they either recommend charges or they don't recommend charges. In this case, they did not recommend charges when they sent the case over to Lauren Freeman, the Wake County district attorney. Wake County, uh, Wake County's district attorney, Freeman is a Democrat. Um, and so it came to the surprise of a lot of people when um, Nick Oxner, again, was the first to report that she was going to take this case, uh, I believe, before a grand jury. Um, and it very close, uh, hours away. <laughs> right, hours away. Um, and if I remember that the actual, the, the law on the books is a misdemeanor. I don't believe it's even a felony. And so um, obviously in the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, I've talked to people who think it's just funny uh, to see. Um, and the Democrats are wondering, you know, what the heck is going on? You have 
you know, two uh, people, uh, you know, in conflict um, with the local attorney, district attorney going after the attorney general. That is not something you see every day. I mean, their and point so, is it's a slippery slope. If you talk about deception and ads, I mean, where do you draw the line? We're going to be seeing dozens and dozens of lawsuits on any given particular cycle is, is sort of the flip side that they're trying to say as well here. Exactly. And they've said that uh, they wonder if this law is even enforceable, you know, given the First Amendment, freedom of speech and things like that. Um, and, you know, uh, how, how, like you said, how far do you take it? How many ads are we going to see, you know, uh, brought before local district attorneys and then, um, you know, push, uh, you know, uh, entered in for prosecution? Um, it's certainly a unique case that's left a lot of people um, speculating that there might be personal grudges involved and things like that. So we're waiting to see that play out as well. Well, we'll certainly continue to monitor that and a number of other items that we, we can expect in the coming weeks. Anything I didn't mention? Anything we need to leave the folks with? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, that's about it. We saw um, Roy Cooper tweet something about Tom Tillis not serving the um, his constituents well enough. Uh, we based that on one of his votes this week. And people speculated like, oh, you know, it's not every day that you see the governor tweet about the senator. You know, we've seen Cooper come out and say, uh, sort of denounce things that the lieutenant governor, Mark Robinson, Republican Mark Robinson has said. But uh, we don't often see Cooper come out and say things about the U.S. senators. Um, and Especially so, Tillis is a, is a potential cross-party vote on lots and lots of things. We saw the infrastructure bill uh, and, you know, Tillis's complaint was, you know, there's too much unrelated spending beyond the, the burn pits over by Camp Lejeune. And that that's his chief concern that, that he had articulated. But, you know, there's insulin costs. There's a number of other things that Cooper has taken exception to. I think it's just a little bit unusual to see him do that so publicly. Right. And um, people forget that even during the uh, 20, when the pandemic hit in 2020, um, you know, a lot of people were criticizing the governor for some of his emergency declaration rules. And Tillis was someone who was uh, not among his most vocal critics. In fact, if I remember correctly, I read some quotes from Tillis at the time saying he thought Cooper had done a pretty decent job. Um, and that certainly set Tillis apart from other Republicans at the time. But uh, I guess that's all ancient. Two years is ancient history these days. <laughs> so For sure. We are and back uh, them going after each other and people speculating, hey, maybe this is, you know, Cooper just getting warmed up for a Senate race in 2026. Who knows? And I'm sure the next few months will feel like slow moving history as we get closer and closer to election day. But I think we'll, we'll call it there and keep you updated. NCCapital.com for all the latest news. Until next time, we'll keep you updated there on our website. And this has been The Wrap.